0: Welcome, this is What Would You Say You Do Here, and this is Season 2, Episode 1.
1: Wow, Season 2, that's amazing.
0: We made it. Woohoo! Today we're going to be talking about jobs to be done.
1: Yeah, uh, we thought this would be a great topic since uh, it's a useful framework uh, that you probably have heard about a lot, I haven't really figured out how to use, and I know that's this that was the scenario that I was in uh, up until recently where I started a new job, and I am now using jobs to be done as the framework for like all of my product requirements. So it's definitely made me understand the theory behind it a lot more. And I think it's a pretty just useful framework for people to be familiar with.
0: I wasn't aware of it before you pointed it out, but I read through some of the documentation. And it seems really interesting. It's almost kind of not replacing, but it's a different way to spend the whole product management is about solving problems thing that I know that we've talked about previously on the show.
1: Yeah, I think it really helps focus you on what it is your product does because it's really oftentimes easy to forget like what you're actually trying to accomplish and you can go down a rabbit hole of adding lots of bells and whistles and you know one-off feature requests, uh, which you after all realize like don't really all mesh together uh, or really help your product accomplish its job uh, any better. So it anything it helps keep you focused on like solving the right problems. So yeah, Jobs to be Done was a framework put out by Clayton Christensen, who's professor at Harvard Business School. He tells a story in this paper. You've probably heard about it if you've heard of Jobs to be Done at all about the milkshake story. And the gist of it is there's a company, a fast food restaurant that uh, wanted to increase their milkshake sales. And once they started doing, you know, the typical kind of market and like market driven analysis to understand like the profile of their customer and the segments of, you know, the market they're going after and the behaviors, they actually did happen to also stumble upon the fact that 40% of all of the milkshake sales were in the morning. They didn't stumble across that. They could tell that from the data. But the reason that was, was because ultimately people saw a milkshake as fulfilling several important roles uh, in their like morning routine. It was a really quick, clean and easy to like consume food. It's not really a beverage and it's, I guess it's a food. (laughs)
0: There needs to be something (laughs) in between. I guess milkshakes are something in between.
1: It is somewhere in between. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, it's it's a sustenance rich caloric vehicle, which also is clean to consume while driving in your car with one hand on the wheel. And so they found that it wasn't that people were necessarily craving milkshakes. It was just that, hey, like I have a job that needs to be filled in the morning. Like I need to get some food. It needs to be clean. And it needs to be something I can do, you know, that kind of also keeps me, entertained and somewhat engaged during my long and otherwise boring commute to work.
0: Give you something to do while you're commuting. Yeah.
1: And that was actually one of the important things was they learned. It was like, it was something to do. Wow. And so by understanding what it was that the milkshake was doing, like what job were these customers hiring the milkshake for? They could better understand like, what they could do to improve the milkshake and make it more desirable and ultimately sell more of them rather than like say like, oh, let's launch a new flavor. Because like that might have been the typical approach, right? That a marketing company might have tried to propose.
0: That is absolutely fascinating because I think a lot of people would take a look at that 40% of milkshake sales happening at breakfast time and do exactly what you're suggesting, change the flavors or offer, offer different sizes or types or something like that. But that wasn't the point of it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So rather than like waste their time throwing a bunch of spaghetti at the wall to find like what was going to stick, they realized, oh, like we know exactly why people buy these milkshakes. Let's improve those reasons or those attributes that draw them to the milkshake in the first place. So one thing like it kept them entertained. They actually came out with like thicker milkshakes that took longer to drink. That's great. (laughs) They put like chunks of like fruit and food and other things into the milkshakes. So they they did things like that. And they actually, as a result, and I think they might've had like specials on milkshakes for during breakfast time as well. So like, you know, other like kind of marketing tactics to attract people. But they were able to increase milkshake sales by, I forget, 20 something percent. Pretty pretty impressive. So that's kind of the idea behind Jobs Be Done. There's more of a framework and a process behind that, which is like doing a lot of customer research, which is also, I think, a really important part of like understanding your customers and pinpointing exactly why they use your product and like why they hire your product.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In this case, they never would have found out that it was because it was giving them something to do during their commute. Otherwise, they might not have known the reasons behind it.
1: Exactly. But yeah, uh, and then around the same time, there was another guy, Bob Moesta, who actually was like a home builder. I think he did like marketing for this uh, company that built homes. They... We're building all of these like smaller homes that are really targeted at uh, older couples who are looking to downsize after they became empty empty nesters. Yeah, exactly. So they, you know, had these really nice looking homes that, you know, had all these different features and, you know, amenities that would appeal to that kind of demographic. But they found that they had a huge abandonment rate. People would come in, visit the house, be really excited and then not buy And they couldn't figure out why. Why was no one buying? They seemed to like it. And then he started interviewing more of these customers and really trying to understand, like, what were their motivations for downsizing? And like, what about the home didn't they like? And he also kind of stumbled across the fact that there's a theme across a ton of these people that he was speaking with where they were concerned that their large dining room table, which every, so many people who grew up had like a large dining room table. Oh,
0: absolutely. Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, and so all your family meals and memories and holidays were had and formed around that table. However, like these homes they were selling have a very tiny kitchenette space that didn't have room for a traditional dining room table. And ultimately, that was the reason they weren't buying. He found that the dining room table filled this job of providing memories to the couples, you know, just about their family and all these different moments that they had and treasured. And if they had to get rid of their dining room table, they essentially felt like they were having to give up those memories. So what he did was he talked with the, the builder and the, the designers. They added like 20 more square feet to the kitchen, took it off of one of like the downstairs bedrooms in order to to make space for a dining room and then within I don't know a certain period of time sales went up 20 something percent
0: This story, when I read it, really kind of drove home the difference between just trying to solve a problem and the jobs to be done framework. Because if you're just trying to solve the problem, that's what they did originally. They have empty nesters who are downsizing. They want to get rid of a lot of stuff. They don't want to bring a whole lot of stuff with them. They don't have kids, you know, adult children living with them or young children living with them. They probably just need a guest room for occasional visitors. And they probably need amenities. They need, you know, access to the tennis court or the golf range or whatever it is, golf course. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know golf. You can go to a
1: golf range if you like.
0: <laughs> Driving range. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> and what they would have missed if they had been talking to the customer and trying to figure out what was going on while they were missing these sales, they would have missed the whole point of this, the job to be done. And it wasn't just about... Solving the problem of downsizing, but they also needed to do the job of helping them maintain the memories. That's really interesting.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's a really interesting approach to understanding what job does your product. Do? Like, what problem does it really solve? And, you know, so when you start approaching product problems from that perspective, like I said in the beginning, it really helps kind of keep you focused on like the main product that you're solving. You just want to focus on like every possible attribute or quality that you could enhance to do the, that job better. Yeah. And so it's very, you know, it's very common like you build a feature. You put it out there in the wild. You, you know, people start using it. You have data around how they might be using it. And maybe you have like funnel analysis and see where they band in some certain workflow. But until you sit down next to them and watch them use it, you don't ever pick up on some of the little like nuances of like how they figured out to do certain things that you might not have envisioned or you knew was possible, but didn't really focus on as like a key attribute of the product. So you start to realize why they actually hired your product. It wasn't because I needed a spreadsheet. It's because I needed a spreadsheet <laughs> that I could collaborate on with all of my coworkers who are in different offices and locations. Yeah. And we need to be able to do all of that concurrently and update each other's work when needed. And that's why products like Google Sheets, I think, have been really successful compared to the traditional Excel that was, I think, a little bit behind the curve in terms of those collaboration features. You focus on those aspects, and that's how you make a differentiated product.
0: Absolutely. it makes complete sense. And the whole point, everything that we talk about always comes back to solving the problem. And this helps you get to the right problem. Exactly what you're saying about the Google Spreadsheets. Why is Google Spreadsheets taking over? And it's that collaboration aspect. Why did the car take off instead of a faster horse? It's because they wanted to get somewhere faster, not because they wanted a faster horse. All of the different ways that we've talked about to help you solve that problem in different ways, and better ways, and more innovative ways, I really like this framework. Yeah,
1: and so I, I think a helpful way that you can use this framework in your job as a product manager, you can use it to write your requirements, right? And so that's that's what we're doing now. You identify what are the key jobs to, that your product does, and you try to limit it to a couple, two to five. You don't want like a huge laundry list because then again, you're just not focused. And then for each of those jobs, you want to start understanding how does our product do that job? Or how could it do it better? Or how do other competitors do this job? It helps you kind of do all the other product management thinking that's required to build a a product strategy, but it's a useful way of looking at the problem. Absolutely. I, Bob Moesta is also. He went on to uh, found like a, a consulting company, essentially that teaches people how to use this framework. And so I, I've heard him on a number of product podcasts, and he talked at a product conference that I went to a few years ago. And that was one of the first times that I had really been introduced to how do you take Jobs to be done and actually use it because I'd heard about it before, and I was like, oh great, I'll think about my product when I'm interviewing my customer. But when you think about it that way, when you actually use the framework, it helps you. Do your user research a certain way. It helps you construct your interviews uh, in, in a certain way. That's going to hopefully provide the outcome of identifying the job and what the best way to improve the performance of that job that your product's fulfilling.
0: Yeah, makes sense.
1: So it is helpful to use jobs to be done when doing competitor analysis because if you look at the features that your competitors have. And and really to do this, you have to speak to users of those uh, competitor products. So often they're not your customers, right? So this is like market research where you're out talking to people and trying to understand why did you Hire this product, you know, what were you going through? What was the situation you were in? And then another question that Clayton Christensen recommended that you ask is what was the emotional driver for you making it? Usually when you bring in emotion and ask the users or the customers to think about like what motivated them to do it, that kind of helps you get to the root of the problem they were solving and whether it was a good thing that it was solved or like a frustrating thing.
0: That's so good because I think so many times when we're looking at competitors, we're looking at a side-by-side feature comparison. We're looking at pricing. We're looking at data storage or whatever it is. And it's it looks like these two competitors have the exact same offerings as we do. What's differentiating us from them? Why are customers leaving us to go there? Why are we losing deals to them? And when you get to the emotion of it, then you start seeing that jobs to be done. You start seeing that problem that they're solving that we're not solving. There's something there that we're, we might be missing if we're looking at a straight up feature comparison or straight up pricing comparison.
1: Exactly, and if you just like ask them about like the features they like, they might say, "Oh, well, you know, we, we love your accounting software because it's got really accurate numbers." But when you start talking to users of a competitor product, you know, try to understand like why did you start this? Why did you buy this this piece of software? They might tell you, "Oh, well, I had like, a really simple like import feature, and I could just immediately get all of my you know financial numbers from my legacy system into the new one." And that was super easy. And that to me was a huge deciding factor, when in fact, that's a really small part of what the product does overall. But then you realize onboarding is important. That's a factor that really drives a decision when when making a purchase. And it's really helpful to understand what else, what other hidden jobs the, the products are doing that you might not be thinking about. So by asking these kinds of questions and using this framework, it really helps you understand what jobs a consumer, you know, hired a product for. And often it's these hidden jobs that you wouldn't even really think about because they're not really core to the actual functionality of your product. If you're building accounting software, you just care that it, it can do accounting. You don't think about, oh, I had a great chat feature and I could talk to my other accountants. And that was really helpful. You realize there are some other problems that get uncovered this way. And then you can help, fo- you can focus on building those better and differentiating your product or catching up to competitors who do that better than you.
0: What about if you if you can't talk to those lost deals?
1: That's a good question. Cause yeah, if you don't have access to all of this data, give me like 20 people that use our competitor. I mean, you can always talk to uh, customers who've already hired your product, right, to do the job. And then from there, you can try to understand like, what jobs does it do well? And then hopefully that'll lead you to um, understanding like, which features you should really focus on in your marketing materials and your sales collateral.
0: That makes sense. Because I think a lot of times we do an analysis, you know, we we might send a a survey to people who stopped the sales process midway through lost deals, that kind of thing, uh, cancellation emails, even, but we were very, rarely ask our customers who do sign up, why did you choose us? So that's a really good idea. It's very simple. Seems like something we should have thought about.
1: Yeah, but actually to kind of also talk about like, how do you identify customers who didn't buy your product or who, you know, you lost a sale to? Uh, I I actually did uh, attend this like virtual conference yesterday. And I didn't get to listen to too many talks. But the one I did get to hear was, recommending like the importance of going into like user forums uh, and it doesn't have to be for your product. It could be maybe more like an industry focused forum uh, where they talk about a number of different products. Uh, but from there, you start to understand what are the real problems that they're struggling with and that no one else has really solved. And and so that's also just like, a good way. It's a data point that you can use. It's not the only one, but if you get enough of them, you it could start to at least point you in the right direction.
0: That's such a good idea because I think as a consumer, that kind of thing just comes to your mind immediately as what you would do research wise, if you're going to buy a new product. And as product managers, it might be an avenue that we kind of forget about in our work lives, that social media exists, that review sites exist. You are out there talking about whatever industry you are in, somebody is out there talking about it.
1: That's a great point. So the same way you would want to like read reviews, comments in a forum to understand what you yourself want to buy uh, as a consumer. As a product manager, you can go to the same forums and talk to people and get insights about what they like or don't like about products and what you know ultimately figure out what is the, the job they're looking to hire makes sense so yeah and this, this framework can be used whether you're like a b2c business or a b2b ultimately uh, if it's consumers you've got a lot of these forums right if you're building cars there's tons of car forums if you're building accounting software again I know there are there are forums for accounting software uh, or just accounting in general so whatever whatever the trade is uh, you can find people nerds out there on the internet talking about it oh yeah and that's a great source of information and I think it's something that as it's hard to really find the time when there's just a million other things to do, typically as a product manager, but it's so valuable if you can carve out that time and and do that kind of market research beyond just looking at your competitor's website, right? To see like, well, what features do you have? That's how I'm going to figure out what I need to build.
0: Yeah, this seems like a much more strategic way to go about that rather than just copying and pasting from somebody else, from one of your competitors. Or Definitely. Something. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think it, it this is ultimately a framework that will help differentiate you as a product manager. Yeah, also from people who are just trying to build a bunch of features and check a bunch of boxes.
0: Yep. So a situation case study, what is that all about?
1: This is the way that they actually talk about how do you do the interviews, take the findings, break them down into the actual core problems. So a situation case is, this is where you talk about what situation were you in when you decided you needed to hire this job? why did you do that? Why did you decide this was important? And then then the last question, what were you feeling emotionally when you d- made this decision that you needed the product or that you were going to buy a product? So you interview 20 different customers, you do 20 of these interviews, you kind of write like a paragraph within the structures talking about hitting on all those things. What did the product do? Well, what does it do poorly? Who are the other job candidates? And you start finding patterns, of, uh, okay. all, you know, 10 out of 20 people said that they onboarding onto the product was important to them and that this one product did it really well. And that's something that we've never really thought about. It's just been an afterthought. Yeah, yeah. And so you just start, it starts to reveal patterns, I think that, that makes sense. you as a product manager need to dig into. Some might be dead ends, right? But if you have one thing that one job to be done that kind of stands out among all the others from your data, you know that that's probably one worth investigating and figuring out how can you do that, that, that job better. Yeah. And so once you know the real job or set of jobs that your product was hired to do, then you can like really hone in on the features that fill that job. And then, you know, that becomes your whole positioning, you know, statement within your marketing. That's just another way also to like set you up for presenting your your product to the market in in a way that differentiates it and really highlights those benefits.
0: That makes sense. How would you write requirements with this framework? Uh,
1: So what... I like to do is identify the top jobs. I think I said this earlier. I like to, you know, identify, identify them, the top jobs that, you know, you're solving, then talk about. Seems like a
0: good first that's step. That's a good
1: first <laughs> step, right? And then. Figure out what is your job description, right? If you're going to write a job description to hire someone to do this job, what does it need to do? What what kind of the background do you need? Ooh, what like are the that. credentials? What are you doing? What am I looking for in a great candidate? And then from there, that descript- job description is basically your requirements. Yeah. And then from there, you understand who are the other good candidates? So. There's this product A, it it does onboarding well. Product B has really great reporting. Product C is in the cloud and I never lose my data. So you start to understand like what jobs are those products necessarily being hired for? Which ones do you want your product to do better?
0: I like that. That seems like a really... Easy way to drill down. You know, I feel like sometimes I spend a whole lot of time thinking about requirements before I ever start actually writing them. And it seems like this would cut out a lot of that process because it asks questions that you are then answering and then you're not having to get them fully formed in your head before you actually start writing them out. Absolutely. That's a really good way to look at it.
1: So what we'll do is we're going to go ahead and put a template of this uh, requirements document together using the, the jobs to be done framework. And then, you know, you too can hire your dream candidate.
0: Well, I think that's about all for today. So we will see you next time, Product Land.
1: Yes, we're very excited to bring you a bunch of more fun topics in season two of what would you say you do here? We are planning in season two to bring in some guest speakers to talk about a a number of product things. And uh, that way we thought you wouldn't get bored listening to just the two of us. So stay tuned.
0: Bon voyage. Adios. Hey, that's mine.
1: Oh, well, hasta la vista.
0: You can't end it like the Terminator.
1: (laughs) I didn't end it. You're supposed to keep going. Sayonara. Ciao. Shalom. Aloha.
0: All right. See you later, product land.